Hello and welcome to this fourth episode of SAPChat. I'm your host, Jaron Main. My guest this episode is Stuart Brown, who I've known for the last couple of years. Stuart spent 24 years in the SAP space since cutting his teeth as a logistics consultant with Team One to One. His path has been slightly unusual, though, having focused on what he calls the other side of Go Live, and includes time spent building COEs, selling offshore outsourcing, and even time as a marketing director and keynote speaker. Founder and MD of Resulting IT, Stuart and his team have carved out a pretty unique position in the SAP world, providing business-side advice to some of the world's best and least-known SAP customers. And there's a good chance you've come across one or two of his entertaining LinkedIn blog rambles on SAP or the world at large. Hi, and welcome to the podcast, Stuart. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Now, I've got to ask you before we get started, um, from the, uh, the, the the bio that I read, logistics consultant with Team One Two One, keynote speaker, marketing director. How has that? How's your journey worked out to where you are today? Um, I actually got involved in SAP in quite a random way. Um, I was working for a, a, an automotive company, um, commuting from Oxford to London every day at the time, and I had an interview booked with Team One to One, and um, I was dry, I was getting a train every day to London, that two two hour journey, and and I remember sitting at a set of lights, um, November, pouring down with rain, turn left to drive to Didcot Station, turn right to go to the Team One to One interview, um, and I couldn't decide what to do, and somebody beat me behind, and I turned right. Um, and I can trace my career back to that, you know that that one yeah. thing. I turned right, went to the interview, got the job, found SAP. Um, and, and and that kind of that that one junction was was a massive change in my career, um, and I guess I guess I did a couple of SAP projects at the right time. I, I, I did my MM certification, and was thrown on an S, S, SD project by um, Dave Lawson, who's now the head of SAP at, at Capgemini. Yep. Um, so I did MM certification and SD project, and then did my SD certification. So in about 11 SAP months I was dual certified in 1997 so you know you could you could kind of write your own job spec and salary spec at at that stage and I ended up getting hired by by PwC when they were setting up a a, a, essentially an an AMS center in Manchester yeah um I was employee number four or five or something like that and I just said yeah I'll I'll do that I'll do that I'll do that and I, I ended up working on on, a, on a, quite a perverse side of SAP, whereas everyone else in the late 90s, early 2000s was doing implementations, mm. I was catching the crap that was thrown over the wall, mm-hmm. being put, put live by, at the time, PwC. Um, I'm sure they're much better now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and stabilising some really bad SAP projects and, and kind of built this bit of a, a, a reputation for being the person to, to sort stuff out after things went live. When, you know, the design yeah. build, yeah. design build run away, we used to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, ended up, I ended up doing that. And, and that's where a lot of the foundations for what we do now in resulting came from, is, is that spending time on the, what I call the wrong side of go live. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you said that uh, during your intro. I, I, I thought it was really interesting because I think it was a, a, a symptom of the time. I remember I certified in 98 in FICO and it was very much go out, do your FICO, get certified straight out onto projects in at the deep end. And then within sort of 18 months, you're then sort of certifying in MM as I was then. So I think yeah. it was a symptom of the time, but it was everyone was thrown out. And I should say also, this is pre pre-internet pre-google site. Yeah, so yeah. you know uh, lots of phone calls to other consultants trying to work out what was going on 
it was it is interesting, isn't it? But whereas now you Google the answers to something or go on some kind of uh, um, a support site to to find something or find a YouTube video, you would have to ring people to say, you know, this isn't working. Have you seen it before? Mm. And, I, and I think that kind of visceral learning was was quite different. It was quite a different way of of getting to know the software, working out its foibles, the do's and don'ts, how it how it really works. Whereas, imagine if you if you were to do it today. You'd learn it in a different way. I think I feel a little bit more disconnected to learn something like SAP in, in today's world. Mm. Yeah, no, completely, completely. And I know it's something we want to touch on a bit later on. But but in terms of the main focus of today, I mean, one of the things, given your background and where you started in terms of the, the wrong side of Go Live, was very much around centres of excellence, SAP COEs, and, and actually what you know what makes what is an SAP COE. Let's go back to basics because I think it, it seems to be so many things to so many people yeah 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 well so, so a few interesting perspectives on it I, I, i'm really into language and observing language and, and nuances of language and, and so so if you if you go back before coes they used to be called cccs mm. sap customer competency centers <laughs> that's right uh, i say yeah uh, and and it's interesting it's it's so competency kind of presupposes you know a level of okayness you're okay at doing stuff you're competent and mm. um, it's like if you were to be pass your driving test and go out for your first drive in the car you're not a very good driver but you're probably you're probably competent the mm. driving test is a competency test and then it then it became um centers of excellence a little bit after that probably um down to gartner more than sap i think Derek Pryor, who's our now our non-exec director was one of the people that probably um, was a cheerleader for Centres of Excellence. And, and yep. I, I know it's not a, a strictly SAP term. It, it was adopted by SAP. It's been used in other industries as well. But going back to the language point, so so focus on the word excellence. Um, you remember doing normal distribution at school, the mm. Gaussian curve, yeah? yeah, yeah. yeah. On, on average, stuff's average, right? Yeah. On, on average, everything's average. That's how averages work. So, so not much is excellent. So, true. so not everybody can have a centre of excellence. You know, true. on, on average, they're going to be average. Uh, so, you, so you have one extreme: are we competent? On one extreme, are we are we are we excellent? I've I've been in and around that this space for twenty odd years. I don't think I've actually seen that many truly excellent um, organisations that ring out the value from a you know a, a, an SAP system. Um, and I, I think people get it horribly wrong most of the time. Yeah, and it is, and and I do see this all the time where people actually go away, they implement SAP, uh, job done, projects live, and then there doesn't seem to be any focus on driving the value out of SAP. And then you go to see clients, you know, five years, ten years down the line, and say, oh, it's a back office system, it doesn't, you know, it's sent a, a system of record, but that's about it. And 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 actually, you see that they they maybe have implemented core financials, but done nothing else, and so the real yeah. value is never never driven out. No, it's not. And I think, so So, so wind it back a little bit. Um, somebody somewhere in a dark room writes a business case, walks into the boss's office, cringes a little bit and says, 50 million, you know, we're, we're going to implement this software. It's a business transformation program. But 99% of the time, what then happens is the program starts, it becomes an IT implementation project, and the business case just vanishes. You know, no one sticks mm-hmm. it on a wall. No, no, no one brings it up in every Steerco meeting to say, so, okay, just remind ourselves the business case here was to do X. Is the program doing X? So, so, so it, it, it fritters away early in the program, um, let alone 
be there after go live and two years after go live um and, and i think that's one of the fundamentals actually is is a lot of the time an erp implementation it's not just sap um any erp implementation the the business case gets lost during the program and the business case has totally vanished or the business um context has changed significantly in the time between selection and going live and adoption mm. um and if you in fact you give a CIO or a CFO or a CEO one piece of advice doing an ARP program, it's 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 nail the business case page one exec summary to the forehead of everybody on the program and at every stage gate, ask them if they're still on track for the business case. Yeah, and I remember many years ago um, in my early SAP career. Uh, being uh, working with a, a then a, a, I was a junior project manager working with a senior project manager, and uh, getting getting the first uh, kickoff and uh, and he said right I tell you what we're going to do we're going to go into the room and we're going to ask each of the stakeholders what does this project mean to you and what is it going to deliver, and sure enough there were uh, eleven stakeholders in the room and there were eleven different responses and 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 that was right at the core of if we're going to deliver this what does success mean and actually if it means eleven different things we're never going to get consensus that we've we've got success yeah yeah i agree it's 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 scary do you know a problem that that i think proliferates this is um some organizations are too powerpoint heavy so so they'll produce a, a pack that says here's what we're going to do but there's no narrative. Mm. The narrative and, 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 and the, the, the voiceover to it um, isn't in the pack. So it's lost in translation. Mm. I'm a big believer in, in PowerPoints are great and great way of communicating. But unless you write something with a narrative, a, a 5, 10, 15 page document that says precisely here's what we're going to do and why, n- nothing can be read between the lines of, of a document. Nothing can be um, it, it implied by uh, misinterpreting a diagram. You know, actually writing down here's what we're going to do and how and how it's going to work. I think it's dead, dead important. Mm, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And so um, you obviously and your organisation, Resulting IT, sit the, in many respects bes- be between the client and the actual SI partner. So you must get a pretty unique view of this, both in terms of the SI coming in and trying to get the job done, um, often as, as quickly as possible and as efficiently as and profitable as possible, and a client who uh, knows maybe what they want to achieve, but maybe hasn't articulated that clearly enough. Yeah, you end, you end up being a, 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 an arbiter, a communicator, a translator. Um, you know, p- people miss each other mm. in, in the communication. That they, they, they make assumptions that they mean the same things and they don't. Um, the clients we work with that, that we do this for, some clients just don't see the value in it. You know, why, why do I need somebody to sit between... Or sit, no, sit between. Sit between sounds adversarial. Why do I need somebody to help me to get the most out of my relationship with my systems integrator and SAP? Um, and if they don't, you know, if people don't buy into it, that's absolutely fine. But I know the people that do buy into it, they really buy into it, and they get a lot of value from it. We tend to have some big clients that we're with for for quite a while, and um, because we demonstrate huge value um, in doing that, and and I think some some of some of that. Is, is down to underpinning the naivety and immaturity in an organization in running an SAP, an ERP program or running or, or, or post-go-live. If you think about it, if you're a retailer or a manufacturer, manufacturer, your core business is doing that stuff. Your core business isn't implementing ERP. Yeah. So you can, make, you can make some pretty dumb decisions quite easily. Mm. 
so, so you know, we did we do a better poacher's own gamekeeper, um, advise the client from a perspective of making sound decisions, um, and most of the time, the, the, the SI likes it as well because they're talking to educated, sensible people who who know what they're going through as well. So it's an, it is an interesting position. Yeah, I, I guess on one level, you you could say you know that there is a, a train of thought that said, is this not just a failure both on on behalf of the client and of the SI to actually be able to drive out that level of conversation, that level of clarity. Um, but as you say, um, both the SIs and um, and clients do have pressures that sometimes deviate and take them from that. And I know certainly working with clients in implementations, everything's fine, but then every so often something comes along completely unforeseen, like COVID, for example, um, and, and they're kind of completely focused back on the business. The key stakeholders get pulled off. And that does make things really, really difficult when the SI's job is I've got to deliver on time to budget, et cetera, et cetera. And, that, and that's going to derail the process. And, and these kind of programs are stressful, just, you know, from a mental health perspective, from a, mm. um, every, everything's a rush. Everything has to be done quickly. Everything. Mm. Most programs fall into the habit of, of, of publishing a timeline, and then then trying to hit that timeline despite the facts. And, and a lot of the time, mm. you know, the, the, the facts say we're late, but the, but the program carries on, you know, insisting that we're going to hit deadlines and corners get cut. And sometimes people just need to be pulled back a little bit mm. and a bit of critical friendship. We call it, you know, being a critical friend, a bit of critical friendship to say you're doing the wrong stuff here you need you need to change change the way you're doing this otherwise something's gonna x will happen um you, you, you've you, we've all seen risk registers right and, and risk registers are really important and there's a formality to them but sometimes you need a direct conversation with a key stakeholder to tell them look them in the eyes and tell them what what you're doing here is not going to work it might only be one line on the risk register, but it's the most important thing you need to think about today and change this week. Otherwise, we're going to go in the wrong direction. And lots of our conversations be, end up being um, kind of brutally honest with, with clients. And it's, it, that's quite a difficult position because um, you know you're going to piss people off. You know you're mm. going to you know you, you, you're going to not offend them, but you, you, you're going to tell some home truths mm. which will make you popular. Yep. Um, but o- o- over time, mature clients really like and respect that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, how many times have we worked on projects? Sure, you've been there as well, where a, a, a go live date is set in stone. And um, as you get closer and closer to it, so the, the, the testing, that's a typical one, testing just gets compressed and compressed and compressed. And then, you know, post go live, you know, there's a number of issues coming out of the woodwork, which in all probability would have been caught during that testing phase. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's one example of, of many, many. We, we did this... Um, I'm sure we can get the link in your show notes if you want to, but we did this SAP success research report. We do a lot of research reports. Yeah. I'm a big believer in ask, ask questions, uh, understand what's going on, and publish that so people can understand it. Because as much as I say to somebody, uh, you, you're going to cut corners on testing, you know, they'll hear it, but it won't go in. If I can demonstrate it where I've asked 200 customers, um, what's your SAP program of success? What emphasis do, you, emphasis do you put on testing and show the correlation? Having those facts is, is really important. So, so that SAP success report pulls out about 15 things that cause SAP programs to succeed or fail and, and shows the correlation between them. So testing is one. The, the, the real big one is, is it adopt, uh, having what we call an adoption mindset. Right. And every, every time I say this to people, they say, yeah, 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 change management is really important. Training is really important. Change management and training aren't adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, 
simplest analogy for this is you buy, you walk into an Apple store, you buy an iPhone, mm-hmm. it, you open it, it's charged, it works, it says hello, it sets itself up, it, it transfers your stuff over from the last iPhone. You, you, you don't have to go into a train-the-trainer session. You don't have to book onto a training course. You don't have to watch an Enable Now video. Uh, if it goes wrong, you, you, book, you book an appointment with the Genius Bar and somebody fixes it or they fix it online. Mm. You know, why are we still doing this 20, 30-year-old crap in terms of ERP, of, of, of educating people in the same way we always have to hope they adopt a system rather than building adoption in? Mm. The people who focus on adoption are the ones whose business case, they nail the business case with SAP because ultimately adoption is about changing people's behavior so they do stuff differently to get a benefit. Um, but, but how often do you hear clients talk about adoption? Uh, on a program, would you ever do you ever see an adoption work stream? Do you ever have an, an adoption manager or an adoption strategy? No, not at all. I mean, it's it's, it's pr- principally focused around change management and uh, and and trying to ensure that the users um, use the new system. Uh, and that can be an uphill battle. Let's face it. Sometimes you know nobody yeah. nobody likes change and nobody likes that. But I agree completely. There's nothing about adoption and actually how that ties back to the business case. And I think if people understand that. But let, let's talk a little bit about um, S4 uh, in general around that, because actually that's the driving. Uh, at the moment, that seems to be the one thing in the marketplace that everyone's got their attention on. We've had the rise announcement, which we'll come on to a bit later. But, you know, where where are you in terms of that then? In in terms of the, the adoption, the one thing about S4 is the adoption. And I think if one thing's been clear, SAP has, has struggled to get to grips with that, frankly, um, over over the last five or six years, we've had various kind of incarnations of it, starting from a kind of sidecar approach, and then sweet on Hannah, and now you know focus on S four, and it and it really is. I mean, my view is that, and I, I've, I've blogged about this several times. It is about it's unique to the client, and that's caused SAP some challenges versus where we were, say, in the mid nineties, where pretty much SAP was a slam dunk to anyone. It made complete sense. It, it was a step change. This, you know, where the business benefit lies, it, it is truly unique to each client. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the S4 stuff's interesting in that, um, do you, you remember the new Coke story where Coke branded Coke differently because of the Pepsi challenge, yes. uh, the, the, the taste of it, and, and didn't do the research properly, and the, it was a marketing disaster. Mm. Any marketing book you read, New, New Coke is the is the biggest marketing failure. Uh, S four Hana isn't isn't far behind from a marketing perspective. It's a marketing mm. disaster. Um, I, I think if if you look at the way SAP branded it in what was it twenty fifteen really when it when it first kind of broke, um, it was faster. Uh, when nobody was really asking for faster, it had a new UI which already existed in ECC seven. Mm. Um, that was it, really. You know, what, what, what else does it do that's different? Close month end faster. There's tools that are close month end faster. Mm. Um, it, it 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 solved a customer problem that wasn't there. Mm. But when you actually scratch beneath the surface, what's happening is um, SAP's wallet share was dispersed between themselves and Oracle it, it, from a data, mainly from a database perspective. So, so S4 HANA really is a wallet share strategy to try and get the full stack. And, and, and actually, we'll talk about Rise in a second. Now going for the infrastructure layer as well. Um, mm. it's, it's trying to get even more of the stack. So, so what we found is, uh, and, and this isn't, I don't think we've discovered this. Everyone knows this, right? Um, it, people really struggle to do an S4 business case. Mm, completely. Um, 
and, and, and I think the reason for that is, well, why should they be in an S4 business case? What, just because SAP have, have rebranded their product suite and built a new database, why do you have to do a business case for that? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, like, it's like if you drive a Ford Focus and Ford bring a new Focus out, you've got to write a business case to buy the new Focus. You, you either want it or need it or you don't. Mm. Um, so so we, we've done a lot of work with, with customers uh, in the last three years in particular. On The, the approach has been... Um, we've been told by SAP we need to upgrade or been told by big four company X we need to upgrade. Um, it sounds expensive. We can't justify it. What do you think? And our opening sal- salvo usually is, why are you doing a business case for Solana? What's your business strategy? Why aren't, you, why aren't you writing a business case for some technology that solves your business strategy challenge? Mm-hmm. And if, if S4 is part of the answer, cool. If it's not, cool. Yeah, D- don't be, don't just because... Some sales guy at SAP or some marketing, you know, marketing campaigns happened. Doesn't mean to say you have to you have to beat to the march to the drumbeat. I completely, um, I completely agree. And you, you and I have have spoken about this at length off 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 the show. Um, but you know, I'm I'm passionate and believer that that you know the technology is an enabler. But you have to look at the business case. What is the business challenge? What are you trying to do? And let's face it, that hasn't really changed, has it? You know, if no. you went back to Roman times, you, you know, they were still trying to get the right thing to the right person at the right time as cheaply as they could. That that fundamentally is where everyone is. The fact is that there are new technologies now that will, you know, bring better visibility, better uh, approaches to business but unless that actually fits with the business case uh, and, and what uh, and the business challenge more importantly that that's that, that that's never going to go anywhere is it no but having said that though there is there is technology within the s4 box that's pretty pretty cool um and and if you there's, there's one mindset which says what's your business strategy build some tech to, to support that but there's another mindset which says so what's available in the asset we've purchased because we, we've invested mm. in, in in an ERP system or a cloud based system what does it do and how can that benefit the business I think the challenge most people have got with S4 is um, SAP can't describe specifically what's different the SIs don't tend to do a great job of describing specifically what's different and the customers find it hard to work out to exactly what's different so when you've you've seen our fusion graph tool and, and it's, mm. it's probably moved it's probably moved on quite a bit since since we we, we first got to with you but um what we can do with that is we can visualize everything that's new and different in every version of s or hana um by business process and people say yeah but the transformation navigator can do that it not it, it can't you know it's, mm. it, it doesn't show you the detail and when, when you actually get into the detail and start doing the, the hard yards on what specifically is different in, say, purchasing, you find little nuggets like um, S4HANA's got AI-based purchasing um, using um, image recognition. Yep. You, can photograph a, you can photograph a part, use AI to recognize that part, and helps you order, reorder it. Yep. How cool is that, right? That's yep. really cool. Absolutely. If you were, if you was a, a plant manager or managing plant maintenance or a spares manager or something like that, yep. that'd be... It, you could build a business case around that one thing. So how come SAP have never said, you know, S4HANA, it's not just faster, it's not just got a new database, it's not just got Fiori, it's actually got all of these little features in there and showcase the features. There's some great stuff in there. It's just hidden. I was going to say, I can imagine any field service engineer loving that. But more importantly, you know, actually, before the field service engineer gets there, wouldn't it be great if you could take a photo? Uh, and then, you know, by, by the end user, who might be a farmer in the middle of a field, and actually it would then identify the part already. I mean, you know, so there are some great use cases around that, granted. 
and that and that that thing around. So start with your strategy and build a business case for IT that supports your strategy. Yeah, and then go and look what's in the box mm. and find all find all the we call them seeds. Find all the little seeds that you can plant in your business case that are going to give kind of. Uh, bottom up functionality that's going to get people excited and interested and if you join the dots on those two things we, we, when we do this with clients we tend to produce a really nice um playbook you've seen some of our, our yeah. um, research reports we do those that quality of deliverable for clients where we'll give them a 50 to 70 page really really high-end deliverable that their execs can carry around that says here's our strategy here's what we're doing here's our sap is going to support that and we build a narrative to it and when, when you get that it the business case kind of looks after itself when people understand what they're going to get. Um, I, I call it a, a Donald Rumsfeld moment, which with clients. So, you know, they can talk about the challenges. They can talk about what they want to be as an organisation. And, you know, to go back to your point, they can emulate a, an Apple point of view. But they have unknown unknowns. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know, you know, necessarily what technology is out there. How is it being uh, used? And indeed, more importantly, is it mature and is it sustainable? And I think yeah. actually a good SI, yourself, organisations, should be those organisations that are taking that kind of business first approach and then being able to say um, and create a roadmap with those technologies that address the business issue. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's one other little nuance of S4 before we move off it that, that bugs me, which is, and I think it's prolif- prolif- proliferated, I always struggle with that word, proliferated by recruiters who will put a job spec out and say, I need, I need an S4 and a 1909 consultant. Mm. It, it, where's that come from? Yeah, we, 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 Ten years ago, we weren't saying I need an ECC 5.2 consultant. It, so, suddenly, the version of S4 HANA has become the thing by which we measure people's ability to help people transform the business. Yeah. It, but underneath, it's the same. You know, it's still got MM, it's still got SD, it's still got FI. It's just a different version and a different database, and and some different tables and some different transactions. So, so the the world has suddenly turned on its head in the SAP ecosystem. It suddenly thinks you need um, a, a person who's implemented a certain version of a piece of software in order to implement the next version of it. It's ridiculous well i know we were going to, we, we, you've got an issue about sap resources but actually around and, and this is a whole different there's a whole show in itself around recruitment because i think pro- the problem is there's some really good recruitment uh, agencies out there uh, and recruiters and there's some terrible ones and i think the problem is that you've got a bunch of people often in the marketplace that don't know sap they're given a brief that you know somebody's got to have this skill set, so they go out then looking for that specific skill set rather than understanding. You know, this person needs to have you know a good understanding of SAP in general, and and the yeah. fact that it's nineteen oh nine is not neither here nor there. Specifically, I mean, granted, there's always new new updates, but that 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 for me is something, and and I'm sure you get them, and I get them all the time. Kind of, like, you know, I've got a great role for you. It's testing. You think, well, I've never tested in my life. Why? Why would you give me a call? Well, you've got SAP on your oh, yeah. CV. You know, it's just yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, the, the best recruiters are the ones who do kind of what you just described, where they make a logical leap. You know, I can't get you a a, a, a F and R consultant for retail because they don't really exist. There aren't many of them in the world. But I can get you someone who's got MRP with high volume in high volume industry and has done complex replenishment. You know, he can probably pick some of it up. Yeah. And whether they're right or wrong, you might not be able to pick it up. It's the right mindset to, to pursue yeah. uh, those kind of avenues when the right we, – we call them zebra unicorns. Sometimes you're trying to get a zebra 
with a horn on its head. They, that person just doesn't exist. Mm. So you need to, you need to make one. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and I know one thing that uh, we were also chatting about was that the, the impact really on. Uh, and I, I know you and I wouldn't hold ourselves in this uh, in this category, but SAP's ageing workforce, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, if I think back to my own career, and I'm sure uh, we were uh, starting out at the same sort of time, you know, offshoring started to become a big thing. Um, and so a lot of those technical skills that were predominantly onshore have now been offshored. And we're getting, you know, we've gone sort of 15, 20 years, and suddenly we're having another wave of implementations, uh, if you want to call them that, um, and where are the resources? And I know when I speak to some CIOs, particularly, one thing they're really worried about is the the overhead of um, finding those specialised skills. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so I, I did a LinkedIn post. I, I do occasional LinkedIn rambles when I wake up too early, and I did one. Uh, no, we, on all, the, all, we all love them. We all love them, Stuart. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's sometimes you hover over the the publish button, thinking this is this isn't going to go well. This one, um, so well, so I, I press the button anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> see what happens. So I did one a couple of years ago, about eighteen months ago, around around this, uh, and I, I don't think it made me very popular in Waldorf. Um, but but I think the aging workforce thing is a really complex dynamic. If you if you layer up what's what's gone on, you've had. 10, 12 years of austerity where every CIO outsourced wholesale. Um, you then, so, so you then get um, skills emerging in um, low-cost delivery locations. Mm. There's, there's, there's atrophy of skills in, locally. You then have wage inflation in the low-cost centers, flatline inflation mm-hmm. locally. Over time, the labor arbitrage goes from five to one to four to one to three to one to actually it's not worth it. Mm. And people realize that it's not all that. I used to sell outsourcing and I, I, honestly, I felt I hated myself for doing it. Mm. I, I was I was selling um, services to clients and, and I stopped doing it because I just thought this isn't the right answer for them. Um, so, 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 so then you end up with a situation where the skills are eroded. The, the skills in country erode a little bit. But also the knowledge of customer-specific SAP systems kind of fritters away as well. Yeah. Um, now people want to go a little bit more agile. They realise offshore isn't working, so second and third generation of offshoring, they're beginning to bring things back. We're just about to publish some research on this. I'll, I'll give you some stats in a bit and, and mm. point you to, point to the research, actually. Um, people want to be a bit more agile. Um then you've got Brexit. Then you've got IR35. Yep. Um, no one's followed those people through. So, so the people our generation. So let's 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 be polite and say early forties to mid middle late fifties, right? Yeah. Um, for for most people, grey beards and grey hair. Um, hair. No one. Mine went twenty years ago. Yeah. No. No hair and grey beards. Even some of the women have got grey beards actually. <laughs> um, and, but but no one's followed that generation through. There's no. There's not many thirty-something SAP people um, because they are they're cooler stuff to focus on. You know, yeah. there was there was web, webby stuff and app stuff and you know interesting stuff. And SAP is just not that cool, is it? Uh, so there's an interesting point on this. We've just hired a couple of um, fairly junior people, for, you know, grad grad age or grad plus a couple of years. One of the interview questions is, "What do you know about ERP?" Some of these people have done IT degrees, business degrees. Nobody even mentioned ERP to them. Wow. So, so, so every business runs ERP. Yeah. Yeah. You do a business degree and you, you don't hear the word ERP. 
you're not you're not ex- you're not even exposed to the industry, let alone um, educated on the specifics of SAP. So there is a big problem. There's a there's a big aging workforce problem, and then overlay S4 Hana on that as well. Um, it, you know what happens when you get a supply and demand imbalance? Um, is is rates go up? Mm. Um, but then R35 will play a part in that as well because rates can only go up so high. Uh, customers just won't tolerate it. it, it it's it's going to be interesting in the next couple of years. Yeah, we've already started to see, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've seen impact of IR35 already. Um, so one thing I wanted to cover with you, obviously, you know, you've got uh, a, a pretty uh, a, a sort of boutique SAP um, practice. You might not like the word boutique, but a, a kind of um, small, medium uh, SAP consultancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you've articulated where you sit in the market. One of the things that we've seen in the UK, and I appreciate we're, we're, you know, we've got uh, global listeners here as well, um, but I'm sure it's happening elsewhere, is we've seen a number of, uh, of the key smaller players being being acquired, Intelligence, you know, Agilisys, uh, Agility Works rather, um, Keytree, Edenhouse, by the big big four, I think, pretty much. Yeah, And that's leaving a as I see, a big void in the marketplace for for customers um, looking for an SI partner. I mean, what's what's your view on that? Both both in terms of the marketplace, but also as someone who's who's in that space themselves. Yeah. Um, so 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 uh, th- th- those organisations you mentioned um, were all kind of sharp, pointy boutiques of their own, own kind in a way, weren't they? They, they had a, a certain proposition set. So Keytree yeah. is a great example. You know, Tim and Dan did a great job building that business up uh, from scratch and really focused on, a lot of it was focused on UX and UI uh, in the mm. early days uh, yep. and innovation and, and they, they they were the best out there at that. Um, but, but it goes back to that, um, the age thing we mentioned before. These people running the organisations and include me in this are kind of 50-ish um Mm-hmm. there's an opportunity you get approached by a PE firm or for an acquisition we get approached reasonably frequently as well similarly mm-hmm. um, and you know the, the guys who've built those want to want to cash out and want, you know, want, want to get a return on their years of, of missing the kids school plays and things like that yeah. um, so, so you can't blame them for doing it and, and, it's, and, and it's a maturity thing where at that age of your career it, it, it's, it's the thing that, that, that comes onto your mind um, where, where will this go next what do I do with it so, so, so it's natural that those those guys have done done those transactions. But you're right; it has left a bit of a void. Uh, what, what's interesting for me is so what will happen to the fabric of those organisations as they go into their new new top coast? You know, what, what yeah. will happen to the culture? Um, if you if you take uh, let's not use specifics. Let, let's say com- company X has got a hundred uh, SAP consultants. They've they've got a certain culture and way of working and a certain uh, attitude to them. And then suddenly they're, they're, they're subsumed by a big four. Mm. They're, they're one of 250,000 employees. The only thing that connects them is the same domain in their email address and the same payslip. Um, you, you're, you're meeting people on client calls and you have to introduce yourself to your colleagues as well as the client. You, you, you don't know the people that you're working with. Mm. I, I just wonder what that will do to the culture of the, the way those clients, the, those people impact their clients. Um, I'm not going to say who, but um, when I started in my career, I worked for uh, a small 
consulting house, um, a, a sort of uh, equivalent to, to the ones we're talking about. And that was acquired. And again, I'm not going to say who, but one of, uh, by, by one of the big uh, major players. And I remember vividly, I was very early in my career thinking, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to join the big corporate world and, and that's fantastic. And I remember uh, a couple of colleagues, probably more than that, sat beside me saying, well, that's it. I'm out of here. You know, if I wanted to go and work for a big player, I, I would have done that. I, the reason I'm here is because I like the the, the size, the culture, the fit of the organisation. And I think actually we had there was about 300 people in the organisation. And within, you know, three years, we were down to, I think we counted about, you know, five people that were left because they just generally didn't. And I do look at the what's going on in the marketplace at the moment. And I do think that some of that Stuart goes back to the conversation we're having earlier on about an aging workforce because I think some of these major players, the big four, can see that there's going to be a huge amount of upgrades coming down the line um, to S4 and they need onshore resources. Where are they going to get them from? Yeah. Yeah. It's the behaviour thing that interests me. So you, you you take one of the big fours where to make partner you probably need to be doing 10 million of, of revenue a year or something like that mm. um you're subsumed by one of those organizations you're you're one of the senior top 10 20 people you're on an earn out so you get some cash then you get cash over time mm. your earn out's linked to your billing so mm. i just i just I, I wonder the kind of advice that some of those organizations will be will, will accidentally start to give to clients in order to hit their personal earn out targets that that's that's my only and it's it's a slightly cynical thing to think about, but you know people are people are people aren't they motivated by 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 their own interests a lot of the time. Sometimes that that filters through into the to, to, to client advice. Um, it, it, it's really hard to keep that balance between give the client the right advice. Mm. Um, if it's if it sometimes means you're going to reduce your billing, we have this conversation a lot internally where we'll you know we'll have a client and we'll say yeah, but the app. The, they probably don't need us involved anymore. We should tell them that we don't. Yeah, but you know they're a client. We're, we're billing them. Yeah, yeah, but they don't need us. So you know, yep. it, 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 our size now, we we can have those conversations. If we were a thousand people and had two hundred people on the bench, uh, the dynamic the dynamic just changes with the scale, doesn't it? Completely. Um, that's what that's what I like about being your word boutique is, is you, you're still fairly connected with your people and still fairly connected very connected with clients and you, yeah. you treat every client as if they're your biggest mm. um, we, we, we often do a bit of procurement advisory for, for clients so we help them to do vendor selection uh, help them through the, the contracting process with an SI and one of the questions we always ask, ask to, to customers is would you rather be a small vendor to a big SI of a, sorry a small customer to a big SI or a big customer to a small SI. Um, and it's really interesting how they interpret that question because nobody wants to be, you know, nobody wants to be IBM's smallest customer or, or Deloitte's smallest customer, but but they quite like to be Keytree or Edenhouse's top 10, in, in their top 10. Mm. You get treated differently, don't you? Well, totally. And actually, in all the years, and I've worked for multiple SIs, um, but in every single one of them, in pretty much every client presentation I've been in, I've been asked that question. So where do we sit? Where do we sit in your in your league of customers? How do I know I'm going to get the right amount of attention? Because my, you know, their experience have been from a previous incumbent. You know that they, you know, they they, they did a lot of uh, work to get the, the the work, but actually then it didn't fail to to materialise, and they and they just felt like they were a a uh, a small fish in a big sea. 
Yeah, I've ever told you the butcher story, the the, market, the marketing parable around the, the, there's three butchers on a street and one of them puts a sign up outside saying the best butcher in the world. People start going to the business and, and, and buying the meat from there. The one down the down the street says we're the best butcher in town. Mm. Uh, people start shopping there. Um, but the other one with, it kind of finishes it off by saying we're the best butcher on this street. And, and, and it's a really interesting way of thinking about positioning and marketing. It's not really that credible to say you're the best butcher in the world, but it's, it is really credible to say I'm the, I'm the best butcher on the street. And, and, and that I often think about that in terms of where we want to position ourselves as a, as a consultancy. Is, is we, we want to be the best consultancy, offering business side consultancy. But I don't want to be an SI. Um, there's, no, there's no point trying to be trying to compete in that space. And, and, and I'd rather be the best at, at doing client side advisory. Um, and stick to that niche rather than do the, you know, to try and become a, a small SI and compete with the big guys that we just couldn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I know that, um, you know, the, the, the thing that first before we even spoke that grabbed my attention was the research uh, that you as an organisation are doing. And it did, it did, you know, that that and actually being edgy in a point of view. And I think that's really important as well, because there's yeah, a, yeah. Lot, a lot of stuff yeah. in the market, which is, hey, we can we can do this, we can do that, we can do the other. But actually... You know, I think the market's moved on, and actually having a, a, a really hard point of view and an edgy point of view is the thing that's going to stand out. Um, yeah, most, most marketing sucks, doesn't it? A lot, a lot of people just see that they, they just stick to generate, banal, do what everyone else does. And you, you, Seth Godin has this term about being remarkable, and being remarkable means that people remark on you and talk about you. Yep. So that's for me. For me, good marketing just gets you. You know, it gets you passed around a little bit. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, I, I've got to talk about Rise. You, you, you picked up on it earlier on. I mean, what's your view on this? Obviously, there's a big splash in the marketplace back in uh, the end of January, I think it was. Um, I think it would be fair to say that a lot of organisations, in, including, uh, I want to say my, myself included, looked at this and thought, well, what does this really mean? I think I've got my own views about where, where it is and what it means. Um, but, but what's your, you know, as someone that's sitting more on advisory side what's your what's your view on this um i've got i've got a few and some of them are, are forming because it's quite early in in the kind of, of rise playing out from mm. being a a, a a marketing splash to being to, to being hitting the streets really um the, the first thing that struck me um stroke irritated me was the term business transformation as a service which is just a total paradox isn't it i mean um it's not a software company's position to transform a business. Mm. It, it, and actually, it's the, it's, it's the wrong and a dangerous attitude to have that just by implementing some software, we're going to transform. So, so SAP and, and any software company cannot transform you as a service by you subscribing to their software. Mm. There's, a lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot more you need to do to transform your business. Yep. So, 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 so pardon the French, but I think that phrase, that term is, a bit, is just utter bollocks, um, really. I think... I think when you also scratch beneath the surface, surface, so they also did this thing around um, Signavio process mining um, solution as well. Yep. Which, which, when you actually scratch beneath the surface of that, it, it's partly bundled with it. You don't get everything. You get it's like them bundling redwood, or you know, you yeah. get some of it. But it's it. almost like, yep. like a freemium type model. So, so the interesting thing about that, um, we, we in parallel. With this, so about September last year, we kicked off some research with ASUG, um, where we asked people a few questions around S4 and, and, and a few COE type questions. But one of the questions we asked was around, you'll remember this, do you remember um, 
the SAP had something called the BPML, Business yeah, Process yes, Right. Big Excel spreadsheet, our access database, there's a list of business processes. And it was fantastic for scoping, scoping a solution, scoping testing, scoping change management. But they don't have it anymore. There is, mm. there is no S4 BPML. There's, there's some, you know, cryptic scope item stuff and a few other, few other things as well that kind of touch on it, but they don't really have a BPML. So, so we asked this question to, to um, in all now, I think we've asked 600 people this question, which is, do you have an up-to-date definitive list of your business processes right um you you'd be gobsmacked I, 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 i'll share the research with you we can put it in your in your, in your show notes as well but but it's something like 60 percent of, of organizations don't have an up-to-date list of business processes in their coe so you've got a piece of software that manages your business processes but you don't have a list of what an up-to-date list of what your business processes are so, so overlay that with process mining. You yep. want to go and mine your processes or mm. RPA. You want to automate your processes. Yep. But 60% of you don't have a list of your, up-to-date list of your business processes. Yep. So, so, so I, I, actually, I actually don't think most SAP customers are ready for process mining at the minute or, or, um, or RPA. So, so I'll put that to one side as well. So they're, they're the two. I'll get those two irritants off my chest first. <laughs> the, the, the other bit, the, the licensing thing, I think has got some good stuff in it, and the the bundling of, of the hyperscaler stuff kind of makes sense because you you know you get in one service, one bill. Um, how that licensing pans out, um, I think that will depend on how how hard clients negotiate. The, the the one thing that remains on licensing for me though is that I think the biggest value people can get rise aside from licensing licensing is to reclassify their professional and non professional user or limited professional users. So yeah. if you think about it, it, by reclassifying a user from from professional to limited professional, that's eight hundred quid a year per user yep. of, of maintenance fees. Yeah, and we did uh, a previous uh, podcast with Jan Cook uh, from a, yeah, yeah. a, a license. And, and yeah, I completely agree. I mean, there's lots of stuff that clients can be doing ahead of uh, a, 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 just today to, to reallocate the, the licenses. Yeah, but, the, but the, there's, there's a lot. You could, you could do a whole session on, on, on Rise, to be honest. The, the, the other things to think about are um, how does the basis layer and support for basis work you know mm. it, it's easy to it's easy to think that just because it's bundled as a service then you don't you suddenly don't need a basis team or you don't need a basis provider but then things like production copybacks and, mm. and things like that it, who does that to what sla who manages all your transports mm. do they get them in the right sequence without cocking things up it, it's I, I actually think there's a lot of devil in the detail mm. at, at that element, at that, at that level in Rise that, that yet to play out. And I've not seen enough. I've not seen enough interactions of clients going through this process yet to, to have a firm view. But I, but I do have some niggles around it, uh, around some of the detail. Um, yeah, we've. We, I know I've. Uh, I've had a couple of uh, clients, well, not clients, but stakeholders, sort of speak to me generally and say, "What we don't understand is, you know, if we decide to go to the rise um, subscription-based approach to licensing later on, can we go back to a perpetual? Can we reverse that?" And I haven't yeah. seen any clarity on that. But I am trying to get somebody from SAP on the show to talk about that. And get some clarity, but I think you're right. As we go through this process, we'll probably get more clarity and more understanding. I've, I, I've not yet spoken to some of the people that I think will be impacted the most by it. So, so, so organisations who position themselves to do that 
hyperscaler interaction layer, you know, the lemongrasses and people like that. Mm. Um, I'd imagine it's going to impact their, their, their business model quite significantly. For sure. For sure. Um, but, but, but there's more in the, in the hyperscaler um, layer than just SAP, right? You know, mm. people talk about, I want to move to S4 so I can do machine learning. Well, you can do machine learning on, on AWS now without S4. Um, and you might want to do that rather than use the embedded SAP stuff. So, so I think that best of breed hybrid approach to your architecture um, will, will unravel some of the some of the purported benefits of of, of rise in a way. Um, you're, you're right, and, and I've actually seen a number of organisations actively talking to the hyperscalers, AWS in particular, um, but Azure as well, saying, well, actually, maybe I want to take my ECC6 environment over onto your platform. Maybe I'm going to do best of breed. I'll take those applications over and then create a data lake, uh, a BI, BW strategy above that to give me a yeah. universal view of the world. Now, you know, whether you can achieve that seamlessly is, is another question, but, you know, there are multiple options available to clients. So yeah. that's, that's the challenge I think that SAP has. I agree. And it's, it's kind of like there was, there was a period with Solman where SAP kind of assumed that everything in the landscape was SAP and Solman could, could, could manage it yeah. and not recognising, yeah, but we've got Salesforce here to do our CRM and we've got, I don't know, Marketo to do our marketing mm. and there's the customer data in both of those so so there's more than one customer master or more than one more than one location for customer data um and and i think sap sometimes think you know the the world is painted blue and everything's within sap yeah. and fail to recognize the practicalities that sometimes it isn't so some of their solutions aren't cognizant of that multi kind of vendor landscape sometimes um, so that's uh, yeah. I, I, with Rise, I think I think the intent's good. I think the intent of, of moving to a subscription type model, uh, more flexible licensing, is, is good. SAP have got to do that. Um, every other SaaS software company does that. And and when you see a monthly bill based on your usage and users and, and your maintenance is included in that, you start to get you, you can better understand the value for money for your software investment. Is what if you add. Salesforce, that's that's how it works. You pay, you know, you pay you pay a price per user. And SAP have got to get closer to that really. Stuart, it, it's been great speaking to you. As always, I feel like our conversations are part intellectual, part therapy. Um but um in terms of uh anyone listening, where where can they get and I will put the details in the show notes, but where can they get more information on resulting IT in your research? So the website's the obvious place, uh, resulting itcom Um all, the, all our research is there's a menu that says research or resources or something like that that's got all of our downloadable research on there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, so I'm connected to you. So if people can find you, they can find me. Um, and I'll always reply to sensible messages and emails and conversations from people uh, with the, with sensible in inverted commas bold and italic so <laughs> um but yeah yeah i'm happy to happy to I'm a, I, we, we have a term in resorting which is we, we call meeting strangers we're always up for meeting strangers it's, it's how it's how we grow as a business and how we grow as people as well so so i was open to meeting any random strangers our way well and and i was that random uh, stranger a few years ago i came to seem to remember you were coffee, coffee in in London, I think the first time. Yeah, it was indeed. Stuart, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm really interested in in your views and your your candor. So um, thank you very much. And as I say, I will put a link in the show notes uh, where people can get hold of you and your research. 
Cool. Thanks for inviting me on. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers.